0: Welcome to The Michael Rothstein Show, live from Regents Field, Ann Arbor's true sports bar at 204 Main Street in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Regents Field also happens to be home of this podcast. Come on down and check out a future episode taping live on Tuesday night. I'm your host, ESPN reporter, world traveler, and grandma's Michigan, and I'm Michael Rothstein, and this is a podcast where we discuss the Detroit Lions, the NFL, and whatever else is going on in the world of football. This is The Michael Rothstein Show, episode three. And well, what a day it has been in the land of the Lions. If you missed the news, and it's a couple hours old as of Tuesday night when we're recording, and by the time this posts Wednesday morning it'll be a little bit older. However, it's still big news for Detroit. The Lions traded starting safety Quandre Diggs and a 2021 seventh round pick to Seattle for a 2020 fifth round pick. And and wait, there's more. Carry on Johnson, the team's starting running back, he was injured against Minnesota on Sunday. He had a knee procedure done on Tuesday morning, and he's on injured reserve now. He's not coming back till at least mid-December. If he comes back, Matt Patricia said that he would hope that he's able to come back this year, but as we know with knee injuries, that gets a little bit tricky. Plus, let's be honest, it could be a factor of whether or not the Lions are in contention or not. Much like last year when on johnson heard his left knee, if the Lions are no longer in contention, it might not make sense to bring him back for the last game or two of the season when they're really just playing. We'll unpack both of these things, discuss trade targets for Detroit, and have ESPN Giants beat writer Jordan Ronan on to discuss this Sunday's Lions-Giants game. But before we get to all of that, just a quick word on last week's loss against the Vikings. And this will tie into the big news up top, too. Detroit was atrocious defensively against Minnesota. If you watched the game, you saw that. You know that. If you've read anything, if you followed me on Twitter, if you followed anyone on Twitter, you've seen that. Now, that's not a reason to trade Quandre Diggs. Let's just start there. But it might be part of an explanation of why this move took place. And we'll get to that, too, in a little bit. Before anything else, the Lions have to, have to fix their run defense. No, trading Diggs doesn't necessarily do that, especially since Diggs is a pretty good run defender, but he did miss more tackles this year than he really has in the past. Again, get to that a little bit later. But the run defense has been beyond bad this year, like bottom of the league bad, like the last two opponents gaining more than 160 yards on the ground bad. Yes, Dalvin Cook is maybe one of the best running backs in the league, and Aaron Jones is really good. But... You know, especially with the Vikings, they want to run. That's what they do. They've said it over and over again. Mike Zimmer has made it clear he wants to run, very similar to how Matt Patricia wants to run, and the Lions just couldn't stop it. Trey Flowers, after the game, he told me this. It was embarrassing, and you could see it on his face. He was legitimately embarrassed with how they played. They couldn't stop the run. They couldn't stop the pass. They couldn't get off the field, and it just really angered him and it left them looking for answers to a bunch of questions and i don't know if they have the answers at this point i'm writing about this this week on espn.com so you'll be able to read more about that Here's the thing. If Detroit doesn't fix their run defense, especially with Saquon Barkley coming to town on Sunday, then you've got Josh Jacobs and Ezekiel Elliott looming in the near future with Oakland and Dallas. This could become a major albatross for anything Detroit wants to do this year. Already they're in trouble when it comes to trying to win the division and make the playoffs. They're four games back at Green Bay. The NFC is stacked with teams that are already having 4-2, 5-2 4-2, 5-2 and, two, five and two records. The Lions are 2-3-1, and one, so they have to make a run. The schedule sets up for that with some of the teams they're playing, but still, you have to be able to stop the run in order to do any of that. And with that in mind, now we go to the sit-up straight star of the week and the slouch of the week. We'll start with the sit-up straight star of the week. That's Marvin Jones, the veteran receiver. at had four touchdowns the second time in his career he's done that. That put him in pretty elite company with Jerry Rice, Sterling Sharp, and Bob Shaw. He tied Cloyce Box's franchise record with four receiving touchdowns in a game, and he's the first player in NFL history to have four receiving touchdowns and under 100 yards receiving. He's one of the most valuable Lions at this point. Plus, he's still on a pretty good contract from when the Lions signed him after Calvin Johnson retired in the 2016 offseason. So right now, if you're the Lions, you have to look at what you have on offense and feel pretty good about it, even with Kerryon Johnson's injury. Because Kenny Galladay is playing like a number one receiver. Marvin Jones is still a very strong contributor and can go off at any time. Danny Amendola can be reliable and he can make big catches. TJ Hawkinson and Jesse James are both more reliable tight ends than they had in the past. And the offensive line has been doing a good job blocking. But man, it's that defense that's causing a lot of problems. And that's where we get to the slouch of the week. We hit it on it already over and over and over again. But it's the defense. All of it. From the head coach to the defensive coordinator to the front seven to the secondary. Over 500 yards of offense allowed to Minnesota. Bite on play action again and again. Communication issues all over the place, as Matt Patricia alluded to on Monday. They missed tackles. They got no pressure on Kirk Cousins, despite the Lions' highest blitz rate of the season that was a little over 23%, which, by the way, still not that high, and more four-man fronts than they'd run previously. It's all terrible. It's all a major problem. And right now, you have to be concerned if you are the Detroit Lions with what you have defensively. We'll be back in a moment to discuss the moves the Lions made on Tuesday, what might be next for Detroit. The structure of today's show will be a little bit different with all of this news. So there will be questions from followers throughout instead of at the end. Want to hear your question answered on a future show? Use the hashtag Rothshow on Twitter or email me at MichaelRothstein, the letter D, the letter M, at gmail.com. So now we get to the biggest news of the day for the Lions, the trade of Quandra Diggs, and what does it mean for Detroit? Let's start with the impact of the trade. And we'll start here because if you looked on Twitter at all, you saw Darius Slay, Jamal Agnew, Kerryon Johnson, even though he had a procedure today, Terrell Crosby, all talking about Quandre Diggs and what he means to them and their displeasure with the trade of Quandre Diggs to Seattle. He's beloved in the Detroit Lions locker room. Darius Slay asking WTF, Jamal Agnew going on Twitter at least with no when they traded him. He's one of the more respected players in there. It's the second time in as many years Detroit dumped a veteran, well-liked by both the fan base and the players, at the deadline. Last year, it was Golden Tate, and it resulted in more losses. Golden Tate was a massive part of their offense. This year, with three straight losses before this deal, Sunday against the Giants becomes huge, because otherwise there could be major questions for a second straight year about the direction of the Lions and what the front office is doing, trading off Starters and potential valuable pieces at the deadline. On the field, Quandre Diggs was having a down year. He was definitely playing worse than last year when he was a Pro Bowl alternate, and he was one of Detroit's top defenders. He's missed some tackles, particularly in that game against Philadelphia, and really even against Minnesota last weekend. And he hasn't recorded a pass breakup yet this season. Last year, he had eight. The Lions also seem to really like their third-round pick, Will Harris, and. It, you should expect a combination of Harris and veteran Tavon Wilson, who is a former Lions starter, to end up filling Diggs' defensive role opposite of Tracy Walker. All three of those safeties should play a lot, and they also have C.J. Moore, who's more of a depth safety and a special teams player, but he offers more as a depth safety than Charles Washington did in the past. Yet, while Diggs wasn't having the best season, he's still 26 years old, so this isn't the same to me as the Golden Tate trade from a year ago. Tate was in the final year of his contract and about to turn 30. There was no guarantee the Lions were going to give him the deal that he wanted heading into free agency, where, frankly, had Tate stayed with Detroit, he probably would have gotten a bigger deal than he had eventually gotten with the Giants, who the Lions play on Sunday. Diggs is still headed towards the prime of his career, if not in it already, and he was under contract until 2021. The Lions signed him to a three-year extension at a pretty reasonable price, before the start of last season. But if they no longer thought Diggs was part of their future, then I guess it makes sense to get what you can while you can. And while you can was probably just a fifth-round pick. Unlike the Tate deal last year, the Lions also have depth here, and they have their future in-house safety already on the team, which is something the Lions didn't have with the Golden Tate trade a year ago when they just had a massive hole at receiver once they dealt Tate. This year, they can go right to Will Harris, who they drafted in the third round. And frankly, Harris was eventually going to replace Quandre Diggs anyway. That seemed to be the way it was trending. Now, would that have meant that Diggs might have gone down to nickel? In most situations, possibly, except for the fact that Justin Coleman is playing better than almost any Detroit defender, especially in the slot. And you can't really replace him there because you also signed Justin Coleman to a big enough deal that he provides more value than Diggs does at this point. So maybe if you really, really trust in Will Harris, Quandre Diggs might have been a person without a home on the Lions in 2020 other than depth. So if you can make a move there, maybe that's why you do it. Maybe. Still not sure. Still doesn't make a total amount of sense to me. But if you really were starting to fall out of favor with Quandre Diggs, if you're the Lions, I guess that's why you make the move. But to me, yeah, he wasn't playing as well as he did a year ago. But at age 26, we've seen players have down seasons before only to bounce back. Matt Patricia, when he was talking about Kerryon Johnson, actually it was more in the vein of injuries, but he was talking about how players would get injured a lot early in their career and then be fine for seven, eight years. To me, you see a player have a down year here or there, I don't think you necessarily give up on that player and that's kind of what the Lions did here with Quandre Diggs. I just doesn't make total sense to me why you do that. Sure, the frame of what the Lions like out of their safety is a little bit different than what Diggs provides. You look at Tracy Walker, you look at Will Harris, even look at Tavon Wilson, they're bigger safeties, they're rangier than Quandre Diggs is, who's a shorter, more compact player. But Diggs can hit and more than anything else, he was an emotional leader on this defense and He was an actual leader in that locker room and somebody that was a mentor to a lot of your young defensive backs, really taking over that role that Glover Quinn vacated when he was cut and then consequently retired at the end of last year. This is a move that really hurts morale and definitely puts pressure on the front office and the coaches to make sure they put their players in the best position to win, both with game plan and their actual roles. But this is a different trade than the Tate one a year ago based off of what the Lions still have on the roster. A couple of questions about this deal from listeners. From Zach Golak on Twitter, why would slash should this regime believe that they have the job security to go navigate another sale? That's a fair question. Bob Quinn's in his fifth year as general manager. Matt Patricia's in his second year as head coach after underperforming at 6-10 and 10 in his first year. But let's start here. No, the Lions are not sellers, at least not yet. Let's see what happens Sunday against the Giants. The one thing Detroit has going for it at safety, as we've talked about before, is that it is a position of depth. They have Harris and they have Wilson both to play next to Tracy Walker. And they have C.J. Moore as well as a depth safety in the mold of what Chuck Washington was in prior years. But Moore can give them more on defense in a pinch than anything Washington was able to do during his time with the Lions. But I can understand the distrust right now, and you're right to have it. Detroit did a poor sell job last year on what the Golden Tate trade really meant. And that led to, as it, you know, it's kind of part of this podcast to Matt Patricia's rant that he made toward me about sitting up straight in posture, which came off of a Golden Tate trade question that was nothing, not really about my posture at all. It was about the Tate trade and some other things. However, the Lions have to sell this trade to the fan base better than it did the Golden Tate trade last year. Explain what this means. Explain why you did it. You don't have to denigrate digs while doing that, but make your fan base understand why this move made sense beyond saying this was in the best interest of the Detroit Lions, which was a Bob Quinn and kind of Matt Patricia to an extent patented saying whenever they made moves. You need to explain this to your fan base because right now there is a level of distrust. If you were 4-1, and 4-2, and two, this would be a different conversation. But you're 2-3-1 and one right now and you need to really sell this to your fans to say listen this is why we made this move this is what it's going to do in the future this is what will harris will bring and this is something that we really believe in it'll be really interesting to see what matt Patricia has to say wednesday and f- again probably on friday about this move as they still kind of fill out the roster after trading away tate or sorry trading away juandre Diggs, and then also putting carryon johnson on ir Mike Trumbull asks, why did my dad make me a Lions fan? Well, I can't help you there. I grew up in New York where my dad took me to Jets games as a kid, and I can remember chanting for Jeff Blake to replace, it was either Ken O'Brien or Browning Nagel. I can't really remember which. Yeah, that ages me a little bit, but I can understand at least from a Lions fan perspective where people felt because the Jets during my youth were not a very good football team. My fandom of any team is now gone though. It's tough. I talk, it's tough for Lions fans, that is. I talk to my friends who are Lions fans, and I ask them how they do it, and most of them just shrug, and they say something along, along the lines of faith or what's it's what they grew up with. And isn't that what fandom really is, especially of a team that's not a winner? It's faith that next year will happen, will come, will be the one that you've waited a lifetime for. So I understand it. Sports are like that. They're for parents and children to bond, for friends to grow close over that. Yeah, for friend, I'm going to start that paragraph again. I'm going to start that whole answer again. Mike Trumple asks, why? We're going to start this again. Mike Trumple asks, why did my dad make me a Lions fan? And Mike, I can't really help you there. I grew up in New York where my dad took me to Jets games as a kid, and I can remember chanting for Jeff Blake to replace Ken O'Brien or Browning Nagel at quarterback. I can't remember which one, but it's seared into my memory. My Fando of Any team is gone now. It has been for a while since I took over being a sports writer almost 18 years ago, but I get it. It's tough. I talk to my friends who are Lions fans all the time, and I ask them how they do it, and most of them just shrug and say something along the lines of faith, or this is what I grew up with. And isn't that what fandom really is, especially of a team that's not a winner? It's faith that next year will happen, will come, will be the one that you've waited a lifetime for. So I understand it. Sports are like that. They're for parents and children to bond, for friends to grow close over, and for the overall enjoyment of your downtime. That's what this is about. And if the Lions or any team do that for you, that's great. And now before we get into the carry on Johnson news and possible trade targets, our guest for tonight is Jordan Ronan, the Giants beat writer for ESPN. Jordan, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. Obviously, it's a, a busy week in the NFL as the trade deadline, which is next week, kind of seems to be picking up steam a little bit earlier. I know the Giants haven't made moves yet, but. Hey, well, you never, know, you'll,
1: you'll, you'll like this. The one I've been getting is people asking me if Golden Tate's on the trade, on the trade market.
0: Oh man. All right. Well, let's just start right there <laughs> because obviously a lot of Lions fans are going to be very curious because a year ago at this time, it looked like Golden Tate was maybe going to get a contract extension from the Lions. A lot of people thought that that might happen. He was playing really well for Detroit. It was still the yak monster that that he had been over the four years he had been here. And then a week later at the deadline, boom, gone to Philadelphia. And now he's with New York. How is he playing with the Giants this year?
1: Well, you got to start with the fact that he didn't play for the Giants much of this year, right? Good point. He was suspended <laughs> for uh, performance enhancing substance. So really he's played what? Two games? Uh, he missed the first four. So three games. Uh, and so, it, you know, you could tell it took him a little time to kind of get re- reacquainted, get, a, get a, on the same page as Daniel Jones. I mean, you have to think also. Remember, he left when Eli Manning was a star. So he never ended up playing a game with Eli Manning. So he's still getting used to Daniel Jones. Uh, he did spend a lot of time with Daniel Jones in the summer or in the spring when Daniel Jones is running with the twos. So it, this is a work in progress. I think what you – see is that Golden Tate is a professional receiver, a guy who's capable of making plays uh, in traffic, tight, toughly con- uh, contested plays, but uh, he's also had his ups and downs a little bit with regards to, he had the suspension, he came back after the first game, he was asked if, um, you know, he because he, he played probably about like 60, 70, 70-something percent of the snaps. And he asked, you know, if he was happy with his role, because he really didn't do that much in the opener. The Giants didn't do that much in that game in general. They played, they played the Vikings, and their offense was completely shut down. And he said, "Yeah, I hope I, they brought me in here to have a bigger role." So that didn't go over exceptionally well either. And then the alligator armed the pass at the beginning of the game this past week against the uh, who did they play? Arizona Cardinals at all? They all blended into one. So that kind of was, you know, drew some booze, but. Came back, made a bunch of plays in that game. Actually had a pretty good game against the Cardinals when very few other guys could do anything. Made some really tough third and fourth down catches, which I'm sure you've seen over the years. Made a huge play against the New England Patriots on that Thursday night game, which I'm sure a lot of people watched uh, the previous week where he caught a tip pass and, and went the distance for a touchdown. So uh, he, he's getting there. I mean, you could tell that he, he's the guy who's going to be a big part of this offense going forward.
0: I was going to say that sounds very familiar from the role situation to being a bit more outspoken to even having ups and downs on the field. That's pretty much the Golden Tate, I think, that a lot of people saw in Detroit. He was a fan favorite here, and I actually expect he'll get a pretty good reception on Sunday, not like other players when they, go, when they come back to places where they get booed. Fans are still right. – and you've seen that today. you saw that today when they traded Quandre Diggs. Like, yeah. people were still mad that they traded Golden Tate a year ago. Like, they're See, the still thing, angry about it.
1: <laughs> the thing with Tate here is, and the reason I said, you know, people are asking about trade with him, he doesn't make a ton of sense for this Giants team because he – look, this Giants team is not a contending team, right? He's a right. 31-year-old receiver. He's getting paid a nice chunk of money. Uh, he actually is this very similar receiver. Like, he does a lot of his damage out of the slot. Sterling Shepard does a lot of his damage out of the slot. So I think it's just it's – it's a strange fit right now with the Giants. Now, Sterling Shepard hasn't played the last couple weeks because of concussion. So that's kind of, you know, let Tate be that guy in the slot. But when he comes back, it will be interesting. And there is a good chance that Sterling Shepard is back this week from
0: that concussion. That will be really interesting because I, I, I was talking about this actually on Sunday on a TV hit I do here in Detroit that I think Golden Tate's going to have a big game because he seems to really get up for these types of games right and not to make this whole thing about Golden Tate but it seems like he could really be a difference maker for the Giants like do you do you think that his skill set fits with Daniel Jones's skill set like I know you said it's maybe not the best fit for him but skill set wise it, does his skill set as a receiver fit with Jones's skill set as a passer at this point
1: point? Eh, I mean Jones is in some ways yes in the way that Jones is pretty accurate. It does give guys an opportunity with the yards after catch, which, you know, that's Tate's specialty, right? But at the same yeah. time, he's a guy who likes to push the ball downfield and throw it downfield, where I don't know if Golden is uh, that really downfield vertical target at this point of his career. So, I don't know. It, it, we're, we're, we're kind of trying to find out here as we go along of where exactly he fits and how he fits with this team. I think that's, that's the beauty of uh, these next few games.
0: A uh, last Golden Tate question before we move on from him. Do you think he actually would get moved?
1: I doubt it. Uh, I think he's still, I guess, a valuable asset to teams. But that's a fair commitment for an older guy at this point of his career. I don't know if it would bring back the value probably that it it would take for the Giants to really want to move him at this point. Mm -hmm. They they brought him in with a – idea in mind that he was gonna work across from Shepard and be that other receiver. And it's not like they have anybody else to permanently fill that role. So I, I I would be surprised if it happened. I wouldn't put anything out of the question. The Giants are two and five and pretty much destined for another lost season. So
0: So I actually kind of jumping in on that you know the biggest news that they had this year was benching Eli for Daniel Jones. What's Lions fans over the years have seen a lot of Eli Manning, you know, yeah. good, bad, and otherwise. What's the main difference between Eli and Daniel Jones that people can expect to see on Sunday, other than, you know, age and different body type and maybe not any more Eli Manning face?
1: Well, I mean, <laughs> Eli Manning face. He is so similar. You might see a, something similar to the Eli Manning face. It's like his clone. It's like his, his cousin. <laughs> you know, his, his, Eli's cousin is that quarterback now for the Giants. But that cousin, can run. Rock- and move and that's the biggest difference i mean he under pressure he can he escape and make some plays and it really has helped out on third down Uh, it really really helped out on third down uh give them an opportunity on third and longs to be successful at times uh now it has its downside is he tries to make a lot of tight throws tight window throws a lot of tough throws and what does that do that leads to turnovers and interceptions so he's got a bunch of those, and that's really been something he's got to cut down on. But you'll see. He can move around. He's a threat. His ability to move out of the pocket is uh, how he can make some plays. And he also likes to push the ball down the field, which Eli did early in his career, didn't do later in his career. Uh, Daniel Jones really likes to throw the ball downfield, and he's not scared. Like I said, I believe he has some, a, a few of the biggest gains on tight window throws this year. Like He has like three of the top five. So he's not scared to try. Tough passes, uh, but that also should make the Lions' defensive backs a little bit excited.
0: I, he obviously the nickname Danny Dimes is as, as <laughs> someone who grew up in New York, which I just talked about just before you came on. Like the, the back pages of the tabloids, the Post and the Daily News must be loving the Danny Dimes thing. Like, does Daniel Jones actually like that? Because, like you said, if he's personality similar to Eli Manning, that would seem like that would go counter to. Uh, his personality and
1: it's funny you said that because I've talked to him about this and I asked him about it and you know what he said he's he, I don't think he's he's definitely not in love with it but at the same time he was like oh I guess there's worse thing there's worse nicknames than that so he's kind of lukewarm on it is, is what I would say but let, let me, let's be honest it's not going anywhere
0: no I, it seems super popular I, I would imagine that that
1: I like it there's people who hate <laughs> oh I'm it. Like
0: sure it. you love can, it
1: what do you, what do you think what do you think Danny Dimes I
0: like it. I, I, I like it. It's, it's alliterative, which, you know, as we as writers really, really like, uh, I, again, growing up in New York, I feel like the back page is going to really love that throughout his entire career, good and bad, because I can easily see if things don't go well for Daniel Jones at a deuces Danny Dimes ends up on the back page of the New York Post, you know, in, in four You're years. You're thinking about his
1: year. departure already? Oh, God, we're already there?
0: No, I'm just saying. Poor I grew Danny Dime. <laughs> Poor Danny Dimes.
1: He's no, I think –
0: <laughs> Listen, he's from Duke. There's a lot of Ds going on in there. I, I think that he's – I think he's playing pretty well, and I think that he caught so much flack early on that was maybe unwarranted that I think he's going to end up having a pretty decent career in New York, but I, I know how – I know how New York fans can be. I'm friends with most of them. So right. I know how that can go. Now, when you look at the biggest weapon that they have, maybe you can argue the only weapon that they have on offense. Uh, Ingram is pretty good, but it's Saquon Barkley. And especially considering the Lions have been atrocious against the run, 166 and 170 allowed the last two weeks. First of all, is Saquon Barkley healthy? Second of all, is, if he is, is their line good enough where he can kind of play name your number? Or is their passing offense so poor that maybe putting eight or nine in the box really can, can be something the Lions could do?
1: Yeah, you know, I don't think you could do go put eight, nine in the box consistently if Sterling Shepherd's back. Evan Ingram is healthy. Uh, Golden Tate's on the field. I, I think those are enough weapons to – and to prevent you, and like I said, Daniel Jones' ability to throw the ball downfield. I think that would prevent them from really going too heavy in the box. And but the thing is, the Giants they can run the ball. They just haven't really dedicated themselves to it, in my opinion, enough. Like they're kind of set up to be a running team. Okay. Uh their offensive line is set up like they're a run they're probably a better run blocking line than they are anything else. And Saquon averaged six yards a carry before he got injured. Now the problem here is that I'm not sure Saquon is 100% either. He looked pretty good the other day, but Saquon Barkley maybe at 80% is pretty good too, right? So I think I, there was a time where he limped off the field. He got his ankle retaped. He said he's fine, but you don't limp off the field if you're feeling 100%. So the high ankle sprain he suffered several – probably like a month now, a month back. Still something to keep an eye on this week. But I do think that the Giants and Saquon Barkley should have a lot of success on the ground. And really, I wouldn't be surprised if they rededicated themselves this week to the run game and altered their their overall strategy. But then again, I thought they were going to do that. That's what they were setting up to do this year, is be like a run-heavy team, and they really haven't. So, who knows?
0: Now... Saquon Barkley, even if he's at 80%, how many teams in the league do you think would take 80% Saquon versus 100% of yeah, pretty, maybe, name maybe running like, back here?
1: Yeah, maybe, maybe uh, the Carolina Panthers wouldn't take 80% Saquon Barkley, but everyone else in the league would. He, is, he could do it all. He's you wait till you see some of the moves that he's going to make? His ability to cut and just avoid that first tackler is really spectacular. So he should have a ton of success against the Lions this week.
0: So looking at def- – look, let's turn a little bit and look at defense. Lions have a guy that the Giants are very familiar Well, they have a lot of guys that the Giants are pretty familiar with between Romeo, Quare, Devon Kennard, But the main guy is Snacks Harrison. Uh-huh. What, how is Snacks thought of when he was with the Giants? Because he was one of the premier run stoppers in the league, but that, he'll, he'll himself say that that's pretty much all he's known for. Like, how is he thought of and do they have the offensive line to really – handle him this week to, because he struggled.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's surprising to hear that he struggled. He was always been a good run stuffer. Uh, I don't think he was ever thought of as much more of that. Uh, but generally, you know, he was pretty well-liked by the fan base because, right, he comes over from the Jets. He's got this great personality, uh, at least publicly. And then something along the way is he started to turn sour. And I don't know, it was a strange transformation during his time with the Giants I think a little bit became less of a fan favorite along the way uh was a little bit one-dimensional and ended up being a run stuffer on a bad team that couldn't rush the cor- you know the quarterback towards the end so that was kind of a, a bad situation and when things went sour he kind of just you know went with it and eventually they made an effort to move him out uh went in their in their locker room purge so it was an interesting time in New York for for snacks. Now, uh, you know they might have a little trouble handling their offensive line in general. I mean, it was horrible this past week, but this season they haven't. They're not the weak link that they've been in the past. So, uh, but the defense on the other hand misses guys like snack like Damon Harrison. They miss guys like Romeo Acquara. They miss guys like Devon Kennard. I mean, because this defense is really limited right now in regards to talent. So. Uh, they would still probably like to have Damon Harrison, even if he is slipping a little bit.
0: You mentioned you mentioned obviously Canard Aquara. Canard, he was a free agent signing, so that, that is what it is. But they actually cut Romeo Aquara. Why? Yeah, that's I
1: was mean, just saying, you just and I,
0: you, you and I, have never actually talked about this. Why the heck did they do that? Because he got picked up right away, led the Lions on sacks, and he's an athletic, versatile player. Why? Why? <laughs>
1: Yeah, you know what happened here, and it's foolish, and it sounds silly, and it sounds simplistic. But if you weren't part of, if you were part of the previous regime, you were basically gone, Mm -hmm. and it didn't matter. Like getting rid of Romeo Quar made no sense. I mean, you had Andrew Adams there for a while too. Getting rid of Andrew Adams would made no sense for them because they replaced them with with sub NFL level guys. So you're talking about guys that they that who can play who that they replaced with literally nobody like they just got rid of them just because they were essentially connected to the previous regime and they wanted their own guys yet they got their they brought these other guys in you know the guys that aren't even on the roster anymore pretty much or kareem martin who they paid big money for uh not big money but they paid substantial money for from arizona who i'll tell you what he's basically the same thing that Romeo is and O'Quarris might even be better. Like, there's similar <laughs> body types, similar players, everything about him. And the Giants have gotten, I think, one sack out of Kareem, uh, Kareem Martin. He's injured right now in IR in, the, in the, you know, this past year and a half. So, just moves that you look at and be like, wow, they really mis- misjudged that one. There's no rhyme or real rhyme or reason to it other than it wasn't Dave Gettleman's guy. Because Acquara can play 3-4, right? He's a big, long guy.
0: Yeah, yeah. They've been using him at end. They've been using him at end because they've been playing a lot of three. Last week, they played more four-man front than three. But, yeah, he can play end on a three or on a four. And, frankly, he can stand up a little bit, too, if you really need him to. He's got that versus the size,
1: really, that that makes him usable in both those schemes. So, I I don't know. It's a hard question to answer uh, aside from saying that they totally messed it up and misjudged it.
0: And I think he's younger than Kareem Martin as well. Yeah,
1: <laughs> and, and, so it, and significantly cheaper.
0: Yeah, I mean it, Lions cheaper. re-signed Aquara, but not too much. I mean, it was like a two-year, I think, three-point something or four point something that. I'm not remembering totally off the top of my head, and but I it think wasn't Kareem like Martin makes
1: six million a year.
0: Yeah, maybe Romeo Akwara's not making that. So, yeah, so. as we're talking about a defense that's maybe struggling a bit. The Giants got, struck, got absolutely shredded by Chase Edmonds last weekend. Is, is their run defense that bad? or was, You know, is the, run defense, is the run defense is actually
1: stre- the strength of this team. <laughs> you know, oh. of this defense. The run, de- the run defense is the strength of this defense. It wasn't this past week, but it has been for most of the season. Now, when I say strength, it's all relative because this is not a good defense. They have zero premium players on defense. Uh, if you go and try and name – five guys on the Giants defense, that'll be a fun little exercise for anybody that's listening to this in Detroit right now. Because I dare you. I dare you to name five players on the Giants defense right now.
0: It's I mean, I, co- I cover the NFL. I'm not entirely positive. I mean, Drew Reel Peppers is the obvious one. Okay. There <laughs> Everyone go. here it's knows Drew Reel Peppers. Michigan,
1: Michigan connection. <laughs> but I mean, like, seriously, they have they have no upper echelon players on their defense, and it's a problem. Like, every team needs like a real few difference makers right yeah. a, a real difference maker at each level right you you have to uh, have Darius Slick uh Jared Davis is supposed to be that guy right Damon Harrison is supposed to be that guy like one at each level
0: right uh, use the suppose in question marks with the last two though this right
1: year. I did I did say suppose because that and that's partially why maybe the Lions aren't where they're supposed to be right absolutely need those, they need those guys to play at that level you need guys the difference in last week's game was the fact that The Arizona Cardinals have Chandler Jones and a guy that's that level of a player. The Giants do not. They don't have a top level pass rusher at all.
0: Well, the Lions, even though they signed Trey Flowers to a massive contract and free agency, don't have that at the moment either. And I mean, they've they have the worst pass rush win rate in the league at the moment, and it might not, not and it's not even close. No, it's it's not good.
1: Trey Flowers, if he wants to get right, is going to have the right tackle duo to do it against because Mike Remmers, who's the right tackle, has been averaged a little below, which is kind of what you expect from him. But Nate Solder, the Giants' big uh, free agent acquisition last offseason left tackle, has really struggled in recent weeks. So this is a get-right opportunity for the Lions pass rush.
0: And you would think that Trey Flowers maybe knows Nate Solder better than most because they would go up against each other in new England over and over again i didn't even put that together but yeah that could be i think that might be a matchup to really watch and kind of see what happens i wouldn't be surprised if the lions brought more pressure than they have in the past this week either because is getting a lot of questions about it because i mean it's just been legitimately non-existent and but last week they, and, I, and
1: i wouldn't be surprised if the giants try and help on him because would, on trey flowers because they let up eight sacks last week most of them from the edge
0: Interesting. So this could, be a, this could be a really interesting matchup for the Lions defense if they want to kind of fix things.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is an opportunity for sure. Uh, the Giants' line has struggled in recent weeks. At the same time, as if Shepard comes back, this could be the week that the Giants' offense finally gets it together because they could have Ingram healthier, they could have Saquon healthier, they could have Shepard back, they could have Tate on the field, and that would be the first time really all year that they're all back on the field together.
0: Well, we'll see, obviously, what happens Sunday. Jordan, every one of my guests, we kind of do a rapid fire thing at the end of the game. Let's do it. All right. Person in history. Anything you most goes?
1: Mo- I mean, is, it, is this going to go all over the place?
0: This is anything goes. Yeah, this is all, all over right. the place. This is. This is yeah, normally it's, uh, normally the conversation goes about life, but there was so much news today that I figured we should stri- stick strictly football with the main conversation. But rapid fire, it's a little bit everywhere. Person okay. in history you most want to meet
1: wow person history i most want to meet christopher columbus i'd love to hear about that trip over to america
0: that's i've never heard that answer for that's kind of brilliant what's your pre-game routine if you have one
1: my pre-game routine i get yeah. to the stadium before every single player so that when they get off the bus that first time they all see me there so i'll be there about four hours before the game Tape them walking in, getting off the bus, and then watch warm ups from the field level until I go upstairs and get something to eat later.
0: Speaking of food, New York food or Philly food?
1: Uh, New York food, New York pizza can't can't beat it.
0: Just hey, I'm just checking. You live close enough to Philly that I'm just making sure. I Is lived in you, Philly for
1: 12 years, and actually, very good, very good food city, and I love the cheesesteak. But uh, you know, if you have to choose between a cheesesteak and a Real awesome slice of pizza that's a no brainer come on
0: I mean I can't eat either one of those with the gluten stuff, but like I mean if you would we would not be <laughs> friends anymore if you had said philly, I just that's just the New Yorker I mean most yeah,
1: interesting
0: most interesting player you've ever covered
1: Michael Vick was fascinating by the way. I covered him when he was in Philadelphia. This was like the second coming of Michael Vick I mean he's actually. Covering him was great. He was one of the top players that I got to cover, and he was so fascinating. He would talk on anything, and he actually was a really uh, well thought out guy, and, and I loved covering him. Uh, this was after he went to prison, so maybe he changed his ways, at, you know, uh, and as a renewed person afterwards. But loved talking to Michael Vick. Always oh, a headline too. Anything he said was a headline at that time.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that was most of his career. Maybe not, maybe not that last year, but everything else. Your seminal yeah. sports moment.
1: I'm sorry, most what moment?
0: Seminal sports moment.
1: Oh man, my seminal sports moment. It's for me personally, it was yeah. uh, hitting my first home run when I was like 13 years old. You know, when you actually get one over the fence. To me, that was my <laughs> sports moment. Because you yeah, know, back in the day, not, like, even our our baseball bats weren't juiced. And the ball was—we weren't all swinging for homes. Hitting a home run was a rare thing to do. You know? Oh yeah, no, absolutely. So, so like, like I mean, you hit the inside the park home runs, or you hit the ball like near the fence or off the fence. But then we went to the big field, and I actually took one out. That, that was my seminal. That was my. That was my crowning achievement of sports. So, uh, The fact that my best sports moment was when I was twelve years, twelve, thirteen years old, probably explains it all.
0: Yeah, maybe. I, listen, I was the idiot when I, put, no, when I played Little League Baseball. I was the idiot that everyone else was using aluminum bats or like metal bats. I was using a wood bat.
1: Oh, wow. No one, so no one like, talked me out a, of that. Yeah,
0: I've been a contrarian my whole life. I mean, that's just, just kind
1: of like the Just because you wanted to be like the pros kind of deal?
0: No, I was just stupid. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <And you didn't, laughs> to be fair, you played at a disadvantage. I mean, that's not... you did. You should... Did. You should, you should, you should yeah, everybody, everybody who was responsible for you at that time... Should, should be a little bit of the same.
0: I mean, I'll just, I'm going to blame my dad that on that the next time we talk. Uh, <laughs> lastly, the bucket place, the bucket list place you still want to travel to.
1: I would go to, uh, I mean, it's either Asia or I think Australia. I really want to go to Australia. I don't know why. It is very intriguing to me. I want to, I want to take a trip to Sydney, Australia. I've been to a lot of places. I go to, I go to a lot of like Caribbean and uh, uh, warm weather places. Like, uh, you know, uh, on the Gulf Coast. The, 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 so uh, I, I think it, it would have to be somewhere out west. So
0: uh, no, Sydney's amazing. I was there in 2015. Yeah, so
1: Sydney, Sydney, Sydney would be my choice.
0: Yeah, the opera house there is amazing. And if you ever I go, Sydney. I would say if you ever go, you have to do the barrier Reef and the Daintree Rainforest. Just saying, like that's a non-negotiable thing, even if you're not like a snorkeling person, but you're a beach guy. So I think that you would probably enjoy that. Yeah, let's do it. Anyway, man, thank you so much for coming on. You survived the podcast. Really appreciate it. Uh, looking forward to seeing you Sunday at Ford Field, Lions-Giants, 1 p.m. Sounds Kinda awesome. Really the game. Sounds awesome. I was awesome. going to say, kind...
1: excited.
0: Hey, man, you're, you might be one of the few. <laughs> I'm pumped to be there too, but I think, listen, I think for both teams on Sunday, it's their season. One way or the other losers. All probably you know is the trouble. lions
1: are, all you need to know is the lions. Look at the, look at the line on this one. The lions are big favorites.
0: Yeah. Big. Well, we'll see what happens.
1: All right. Sounds good, Mike. Appreciate you having Appreciate me. Appreciate it. Thanks.
0: We'll be right back after this break to chat about carry on Johnson. Regents Field, Ann Arbor's true sports bar at 204 Main Street in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Come on by to enjoy some great food, including some gluten-free options, drink specials, and check out free ski ball and darts as well. You can also record a podcast of your very own here, too. Check out RegentsField.com or find them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Regents Field. Now, back to our show. The other big news today is Karrion Johnson going on injured reserve and not coming back until December if he comes back at all this year after having a procedure on his right knee Tuesday morning. Just to recap really quick, Carrion got hurt in the first half against Minnesota. He briefly reappeared on the sideline with a brace on his right knee, rode the stationary bike a little bit, tried to test it out in the back of the bench. Then basically just sat on the bench, stood on the sidelines, went in the locker room at halftime, didn't come back out. On Monday, Matt Patricia said he was still waiting to hear from doctors. ESPN's Adam Schefter reported on Monday that Carryon Johnson would miss, quote-unquote, some time. And then on Tuesday morning, Carryon had a procedure on his right knee, and now he's on injured reserve. And it's possible that his sophomore season in the NFL is done. So what's the impact? Losing carry-on is a big deal. Let's not make any bones about it. He's Detroit's bell cow back, and while he wasn't putting up big numbers, he was reliable for the Lions, and they had built part of their offense around him. He was also enough of a concern for opposing defenses that they stacked the box against him over and over again, opening up the pass game, but also limiting him. So while that was beneficial for Matthew Stafford and Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay, that could change things now. Because will teams continue to do that, it's tough to say. The Lions are going to go with a running back by committee, at least unless they trade for a stud back like maybe Melvin Gordon, between rookie Ty Johnson, veteran J.D. McKissick, and the mostly unknown Troy Carsey. They'll likely add another back too, which is going to be something to watch over the next few days. And it's entirely possible by the time you're listening to this podcast, they have made a move to add another running back, whether maybe it's Paul Perkins off the practice squad, Zach Zenner all of a sudden out there again after being cut by New Orleans on Tuesday and a multitude of other options, including former Lions running back, CJ. Ty Johnson's in the back to pay attention to here. He got the bulk of the work after carry-on one out, has more dual threat capability than McKissick as a runner slash receiver, and has the speed to be a game breaker if given the opportunity. I've been high on him for a while, and I think he has breakout potential when paired with a player like McKissick. Johnson's more of a between the tackles runner who also has the speed to get loose on the outside. McKissick is more of a receiver pass catcher Definitely more polished than Ty Johnson is at that perspective. Both of them are okay at pass protection, but that's going to be something to watch as well. With both of these guys, though, it's going to be intriguing to see what they do with more work. Matt Patricia said it's going to be a running back by committee. Daryl Bevel said he's going to try and quote unquote accentuate those qualities that they have and minimize the areas that we don't think they will help us, close quote. None of them are as complete as carry-on. Let's just start there. But combined, they could be effective as a replacement. I like Ty Johnson's future, and if you play fantasy, he's a must at this point. If you're someone who mostly cares about the Lions, you're going to like him too. He has a really interesting personality. He's big into The Bachelor and other reality TV shows. He and I have casually discussed that. He's big into prayer as well, as he had a Bible in his locker throughout training camp that I saw him reading a few times during Open Locker. I even asked him about it one day, and it's something that he says centers him. He's a personable guy, and if he plays well, he's going to be a big hit with fans. The running back room, as far as interesting humans and good talkers go, it's among the best on the Lions between Johnson and Johnson and McKissick. Honestly, I haven't talked much with Carson or with Paul Perkins. But on the field, on Johnson's a big loss. It'll hurt. And while Matt Patricia downplayed what this means for him long-term when I asked about this Tuesday, considering this is his second season with a knee injury, last year his left knee, this year his right knee, that could keep him out for at least a third of the season it's going to be something to watch one of the questions about Carryon was his durability coming out of auburn and so far that's still a major major issue maybe the biggest issue when it comes to the second year running back now a couple questions both about trade targets and about Carryon on johnson justin kroll asks from twitter what would be your guess on what Kenyon drake would go for So I spoke to a couple people around the league today, and they thought maybe a third or fourth round pick. I don't have anything really concrete on that. In reality, if there's a bidding war, it could drive the price up. But it would make sense if the Lions are trying to create a package to land Drake that the recently received fifth round pick from Seattle in that Diggs deal could end up being part of it. Or you're getting at least another draft pick if you think you're going to end up trading draft capital to try and land Kenyon Drake, which leads to other trade targets. And let's get into that a little bit. Melvin Gordon would obviously be the biggest prize. He's an electric guy. He's somebody who would fit in really well on this Detroit offense. And down the road, a future pairing of Melvin Gordon and On Johnson and then Ty Johnson or J.D. McKissick would be maybe the best backfield in the league. But you'd probably be investing a lot of money in there. Or down the road, you'd be admitting that you're probably getting rid of one of Gordon or on Johnson. That's something to think about in the bigger picture, but if Mel- if Melvin Gordon can be had for a reasonable price, I think if you're Bob Quinn right now, you go out and get him. I just don't know if that reasonable price is out there. But he would be to me the big name top running back target if you can nab him. Defensively, if you can try to get Von Miller, that would be another guy. Denver's obviously making some moves as they traded Emmanuel Sanders on Tuesday to San Francisco. I, I don't know if they would trade Von Miller. But Von Miller is the type of pass rusher that this Lions defense is missing at this point. I don't know where you put him exactly because it would maybe change the role that Devon Kennard would have. And that would be concerning because Kinnard probably your best pass rusher at this point. And Von Miller is getting up there a little bit in age, but he is so dynamic, probably a Hall of Famer one day. And if you can add him and really accentuate the pass rushing, that can make, make things so much more versatile format Patricia on his defense and maybe even make the three-man rush that they're that they've been doing here and there or the four-man rush since they don't like to blitz a little bit more palatable I think you go and try to get him but again that asking price could be massively high and I don't think that they'd make that move uh, meaning Denver but it could be someone to watch so other guys maybe Austin Eckler if the Chargers really want to go all in on Gordon and you feel like me he's expendable Maybe the Lions call Atlanta, see what it could take to get Vontae Freeman or Vic Beasley or really any of their strong individual defensive players at this point because Atlanta's in a tough spot. They dealt Mohamed Sanu to New England on Tuesday, and so it seems at least they are maybe open for business a little bit. Those are calls that I would make if I'm Bob Quinn. At this point, it will be surprising to see Detroit stay firm with what it has. We know Bob Quinn likes to trade. We've seen it every year. We saw it last year when, in really a span of eight days, they traded four Snacks Harrison with the Giants and then traded away Golden Tate. So these next six days they're going to be really worth watching to see what Bob Quinn might have up its sleeve because I have a feeling that they are not quite done yet. Breccasino asks how could a defensive line that was so good against the run at the end of last season go to crap with the same personnel? That right now with this team is the biggest question out there. They have a lot of the same players. Sure, Deshaun hands hurt. Yes, the brought in during training camp Mike Daniels is also injured snacks harrison has said that yeah this is maybe the most frustrated he's been in his career and that he's struggling with some things right now but it doesn't make sense why they've been so bad against the run they have as you mentioned essentially the same personnel and once harrison came back and listen it's not all on damon harrison he will say it starts with him he said that over and over when he talked earlier this week but it's not it's more than damon harrison it's the entire front seven, it's even the back end. And like we were talking about with Quandre Diggs at the top, maybe some of those Diggs missed tackles were part of the problem. And they're hoping that that can shore things up a little bit. But Diggs isn't the only one missing tackles. A lot of Lions players are missing tackles right now. And to me, that, they're fundamentals. And yes, that's cliche and coach speak and all of that, but it's true. Fundamentals, pad level, communication, those are part of the big issues right now when it comes to the problems the Lions are having defending the run all of those things in theory are fixable but the Lions are running out of time to be able to do that Matt Patricia bristled a little bit when I said that they were halfway through the season and and why haven't they fixed some of these things he pointed out they're not quite halfway there yet but it's getting late early especially with the way the NFC North is shaping up so Detroit has to fix this issue really quick we talked about it a little bit up top but I think it's a combination of things of why they are so poor against the run i think yes damon harrison is struggling i think that yeah they're missing the shot hand and that hurts a little bit and their linebackers are not playing great devon Kennard's having an okay season jerry davis has not been great and again their secondary is missing tackles but it comes to communication it comes to fundamentals it comes to pad level And frankly, it just comes to teams really focusing on running the ball and knowing they can do it. So once you know you can do something, you're going to take advantage of it. To me, it reminds me a lot of the first half of last year before they traded for Snacks Harrison. They were a poor run defense in the first half of last year. So maybe they get better as the year goes on. Maybe that's kind of what happens here. But there isn't a trade for Snacks Harrison to be had to fix that. At least not one that I see. So you really need to work with the players you have if you're the Lions to fix that run defense because you have other problems as well that you can maybe get personnel upgrades for. You got one of the best run stuffers in the game last year, extended them during the preseason in Snacks Harrison. So you got to find a way to make it work with weight. So you can read my guest tonight, Jordan Rodden on ESPN.com. Follow him on Twitter at Jordan Rodden and Instagram at Jordan Rodden ESPN. You can read me on ESPN.com. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Mike Rothstein, on Facebook at Michael Rothstein Journalist. You can check out my travel blog, complete with gluten free suggestions from each city, at MichaelRothstein.net. And thanks to Regents Field for hosting this podcast. Come on, boy, to enjoy some great food, including some gluten free options, drink specials, and check out the free skee ball and darts as well. You can record a podcast of your very own here, too, just like me. Check out RegentsField.com or find them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at RegentsField. Well, that's it. Episode three in the books, done. Thanks to my producer, Matt Leach. Don't forget, if you like what you hear, give us a positive review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or anywhere else you choose to listen to your podcast. Review, subscribe, rate, all of those things. Love your feedback as we try to grow this show. See you next week.